Welcome to Why the Long Face, two old friends lifting the lid on mental health over a beer with author and psychiatrist Paul Keedwell and business consultant and so-called comedian Ollie Turnbull. Hello everyone, this is uh, Why the Long Face. Good evening. Welcome back. So, Doctor... Um, what we're going to be talking about this evening is do antidepressants work? Yes. <laughs> Next. <laughs> yeah, right. Okay. Anyway, thanks for joining us on Why the Long Face. We'll next, see you next time. Next uh, next on uh, Why the Long Face, will the sun come up tomorrow? <laughs> so, good news um, for anyone who's... Uh, who's been prescribed antidepressants but maybe we could dive a little bit deep, deeper than those three letter <laughs> uh, that three letter summary that you gave us earlier doctor ah you want the caveats i want the caveats and i want a bit more of an explanation mm. but from a layman's perspective mm. we don't want it to be a frigging reese lecture we just want um just the basic facts to um i guess um give some people some comfort who are, uh, are taking this kind of medication know, or just thinking about taking it yeah or have been um, asked to consider it, I guess. No. By the I mean, all, because some people yeah. would find that uh, a frightening, frightening prospect. Yeah. I would imagine. So, yeah, I think that's right. I, I, and it's not something that anyone should take lightly. I guess if your GP has told you that you might need to take an antidepressant, you should seriously look into it. And I'm not here to tell you to take them. The title of this podcast is do antidepressants work correct the answer is yes for the majority of people who take them and with an added caveat in clinical trials randomized controlled trials which is (coughs) supposedly the gold standard of evidence in medicine uh, they will uh, take people who've got depression and they'll give them either the antidepressant active drug or a placebo and they'll compare responses to Antidepressant versus. Placebo. Will they tell people what they're taking? Obviously not. No, uh, they don't tell them, and they don't know themselves because they're blinded by someone else, an independent uh, investigator. That's what double blind means, right? Yeah. So the the administrator of the experiment and the recipient are both unaware of what's being. Of which, That's yeah, double but blind. they're getting the active drug or not. Interesting stuff. Right. Cool. Right, and obviously the people who are rating the severity of their depression using standardised kind of instruments, right? like the Hamilton Depression Rating Scale, for example. Right. Okay, which we'll talk about in another episode. Uh, we can do. We can talk about measuring. Yeah. The response rate for antidepressants, in, on the whole, is about double the placebo rate. That's and actually quite surprising. Because about, about two-thirds yeah. of people will respond in your average clinical trial, and that's just obviously just one drug. So they're only sort of uh, twice as good as nothing. In yeah. fact, yeah. but but you believe, no doubt, in the placebo effect. In other words, some <clears> people who are given anything... Um, the very fact that they are getting a treatment um, will sometimes help their symptoms. Well, that's, that's what the placebo that, effect is. Right? That's the placebo effect. And okay. that and that is um, pretty high in all trials in psychiatry. So an expectation of recovery can be very powerful, just in and of itself. And maybe getting the extra added attention uh, from researchers, mm. having somewhere to go, someone to talk to, to talk about how they're feeling, yeah. uh, so they rate their symptoms and so on. So maybe the company is acknowledging enough. it as well. The best trials um, have a follow-up period of about 12 months. But the, the longer the follow-up period, the more expensive the trial is and the more difficult it is to run, obviously, and the higher dropout you'll get. But they carefully select uh, people for these trials. You know, they're excluded if they take any street drugs, if they drink alcohol, that kind of thing. So actually, arguably, they're not. these trials are not sort of living in the real world, if you like. 
Yeah. So, but even so, a, d- a double um, uh, positive response rate is highly significant. So yeah. Uh, even from that perspective, they work. Do you think we can? Yeah, and this is on average. So then it's then you have then you can. Uh, I mean, there's lots to it that you have to break down. What? How do we define response versus remission? So there is a difference. Yeah. And also, do all individuals respond in the same way? Mm. Is it that people with a more severe depressive illness are more likely to respond than those with a milder severity? Mm. I've heard that theory before, which Mm. sort of makes sense in a way. So the worse your condition is, the more likely uh, drugs are to work. Makes sort of logical sense to a layperson, I guess. Yeah. So that's that's really encouraging, a 60% success rate, and that's on any drug. Because, of course, when you're actually prescribing antidepressants, you might try many different drugs for a particular patient. Um, So perhaps the efficacy goes above 60% because you're... You, you'll try different combinations. Um, if one de- antidepressant doesn't work, uh, it's likely that your doctor might prescribe you another one, uh, mm-hmm. which might be more effective. Yes. So that's why I always refer to something called the STAR-D trial. Sequenced treatment alternatives to relieve depression. Bit of a mouthful. So that's why STAR-D. And this was a collaborative study on the treatment of depression funded by the National Institute of Mental Health in America. So the stepped treatment approach means if you don't respond to the first antidepressant, then you go to the next step, which is either switch to another antidepressant or you augment with a, with something else. Mm. Um, step three, you have two antidepressants at once, or you know, it basically has different options for you. Because it's extremely complex, the the different types of antidepressant and the mechanisms in your brain that they're acting on. So it's incredibly unpredictable because it's such a complex system. There's a bit of trial and error. Correct. And I think you're saying to patients they shouldn't be scared of that. They shouldn't be scared. This guy's just throwing a load of mud at the wall and seeing if anything sticks. Right. They're not actually doing that. But the point of this study and the reason I realise... No, you're right. We currently don't have any reliable way of, of predicting whether people are going to respond to uh, a drug that primarily, in theory, works on the serotonin system or one that primarily works on dopamine, say, or a combination of the two. I, don't, I know um, we don't want to get too and technical, got, but what are the, what's the difference between the serotonin acting and the dopamine acting? Right, so, well, there is some evidence that all three of the monoamines, uh, serotonin, noradrenaline and dopamine, they all contribute to varying degrees to the pathophysiology of depression, right? Right. So some kind of depletion going on. In all three, and or, or it's, any combination. And it's all indirect evidence coming from blood tests. They've been t- taken, you know, extract something from the cerebral spinal mm. fluid or something, or look at the urinary uh, excretia uh, products of these neurotransmitters and so on to get some kind of index. Because, of course, you know, you can't use an invasive way of measuring brain chemicals in your brain yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but uh, it's all indirect evidence and we know that it's probably more complicated than a drug acting on one neurotransmitter most of them act on all three a selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor an SSRI implies that its main mode of action is on serotonin yeah. but it is also having effects on the other two because these systems are not completely independent of one another I mean, these these are tracks that start in the in the mo- in the sort of older gut feeling part of the brain, and project <coughs> forward to the frontal cortex. And there's something about that relationship between right. the frontal 
frontal cortex, the kind of the, the part of the brain that's most evolved, of course, and is um, no, weighs up probabilities of action and room, and thinks has, has uh, contains abstract reasoning, um, uh, inhibitory control of your emotions, which you learn as you mature. So it's the interaction between these things within a depressive illness. Noradrenaline depletion might be more responsible for your difficulty concentrating, right? Depletion in serotonin might be more responsible for the abnormalities in your sleep pattern, difficulty either getting off sleep or waking up too early or, or, or indeed waking up in the middle of the night, what we call middle insomnia. And the lack of dopamine affecting the pleasure thing and your motivation, your drive. Can I try and summarise? Because yeah. <clears throat> um, I, I've heard about serotonin and I, I obviously... Imagine an SSRI, you know, mm. a, a, a allows you to have more serotonin because serotonin makes you happy. What I'm hearing is, um, and that was very detailed um, explanation, was not as simple as that, and it never is because it's the brain, the most complex thing in the universe. No, because we've got other drugs that don't work on those three, supposedly, right? But probably work indirectly on them, like uh, ketamine. So what I was summarizing, I was saying that the, the, these three neurotransmitters, yeah, um, they all do different things, but they overlap. You might Correct. say that serotonin has an effect on mood and your ability to sleep. You might say noradrenaline has more of a bias towards concentration and dopamine to motivation. Mm. Uh, and you might and always pleasure. say that uh, a particular uh, deficit in one or all of those mm. might colour the way your depression presents. But that the right. drugs tend right. to work on all of them to a greater or lesser extent. And that explains yeah. um, two things, really, for me. One, yeah. why people have so many different symptoms and they're, they're a myriad of them because mm. they're a bit like red, green, and blue. You can make any colour in the any mm. colour in the spectrum out of those three colours. Yeah. You can make any mood disorder out of a, out of a combination of any of those three um, yeah. uh, neurotransmitters. That, that explains, to a certain extent, yeah. why you have to do a bit of trial and error yeah. with the drugs because you can't necessarily predict yeah. where the yeah. deficiency lies. Yeah, you go into psychology psychiatry thinking i want to have nice clean outcomes to all my interventions don't do it <laughs> yeah because <laughs> because the brain is complicated but also the the, the neurochemistry of each ind individual person is unique so do you think that because the uh it, the brain is the most complicated thing in the universe your job is in mm. a sense even harder than apart hard. from yours no which is one of the simplest things mm. it sort of goes human brain rat brain i know monkey brain Rat brain, bird Rubik's, brain, bird brain, Rubik's cube, my head, the rest of the world. <laughs> I know that. So, but are you saying your job, you could say, is harder than a heart surgeon's? Because although a heart is quite a complicated organ, oh yeah, yeah there yeah, are a lot yeah. less things that can go wrong. So that's why psychiatrists oh, yeah, think they're so bloody good. Oh, definitely, right. definitely, definitely. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're much, much better at just <laughs> randomly giving drugs to people until they feel better. Uh, correct. Taking a <laughs> One might say an empirical approach to treatment. <laughs> no, but there is kidding. a serious point. There. Only kidding. There is a serious point. We're forgetting people here. might feel when they go to the doctor and they say that didn't work. Let's try this one. Right. They might think the doctor <clears throat> is just scattergun random. And I'm hoping this is no. not explaining why he or no. she will be doing that. Does no, I think there is no. Of course, there is some evidence base to the types of drugs we prescribe. Most doctors would say, "Okay, first depression." Let's go for an SSRI. Some, now you're going to ask me to list them. I'll do my best. Mm, I've got a list. Go on then. I've done my research. I know them already. Proxetine, Go on then. Uh, so the, uh, probably the most well-known one is Prozac was the trade name. Came out and it was the first. Oh no, second. 
fluvoxamine was the first one, and then it was fluoxetine, otherwise known as Prozac, and that was a big thing in the early 90s. Mm-hmm. But since then, we've had sertraline, yep. paroxetine, Tick. Uh, citalopram. Blimey, are you doing this from memory? Of course. This is extraordinary, Doctor. Carry on. Escitalopram. Yeah. That's it. Oh, no, there's one you haven't got. This is a great uh, game, isn't it? Name the antidepressant. No, oh, God. Fluvo. No, I said fluvoxamine. You've got it all. That was before fluoxetine. You've got every single one. Of course one. I did. It's my job, man. Well, even so, with all those long words. <laughs> it was a clever. Anyway, so one of those, and there isn't a, uh, there isn't a heap of evidence to suggest that one of them, uh, when you look at sort of meta-analyses, when you look at all the trial evidence, uh, there is no reason to pick one over the other, really. You sling out terms like meta-analyses because they sound clever. Right, actually, I know what that means. Can I guess? Yeah. So meta is abstraction. So meta-analysis is like an analysis of analysis. In other words, of all the trials, um, analysis of all of them. Yes. Correct. I rock. Using... um, Spreadsheets. Using, well, a systematic literature reviews first to try and pull out uh, trials that use the same methodologies or good enough methodologies. So you chuck out all the ones that use crap methods, i.e. they didn't have double-blind, randomised controls as part of there. And then you do a kind of analysis of all those, yeah, of um, of those findings. To have less noise and better quality evidence, you'd have one massive trial instead of compiling loads of small ones. Yeah. I mean, what I know about data is the more data you have, the more the uh, errors even out, which kind of stands to reason. Right, because when you're compiling a lot of small studies, you have to make certain assumptions, like they're all, they're all uh, the, the patients are all fairly similar, similar environments, mm. um, and conducted in similar ways. I, I like this. This is really uh, getting my head around this. Three neurotransmitters that can possibly cause the problem in all different amounts, and any drug that you might take um, uh, helps with the, um, the amounts of any one of those neurotransmitters to an unspecified degree. So to a certain extent, it has to be a little bit trial and error, and that is not the doctor just being random. If you don't respond to one SSRI, you may respond to another SSRI, which shows that it isn't as simple as, oh, it just increases the availability of serotonin. Yep. And, and that all drugs work in the same way in a particular class. So if you're someone who has a bit of a kind of neurochemical profile where dopamine is, is low as well as serotonin, then the surgery might work better for you. Yeah, no, that's true. Anyway, now a word from our sponsor. Yeah. <laughs> Procter & Gamble. Oh, no, they, they don't. Do you, want to, talk about any, do you want to talk about other classes? We can talk about the SSRIs and the tricyclics. Well, we've got the monoamine oxidase inhibitors. What about the SNRIs? Don't they come next, logically? if you like, the serotonin and noradrenaline reuptake inhibitors. So I'm guessing that they uh, um, help with the balance of serotonin and noradrenaline. So Venlafaxine, uh, otherwise brand name Effexor, is... That, that surely is one of Superman's be <laughs> Superman like, and Effexor. Hung out with Skeletor. Effexor. It uh, definitely is a good antidepressant, but again, it all depends on your side effect profile. So whenever we're prescribing, we're thinking about response, but we're also thinking about what you can tolerate. Yeah. Right? So that's why venlafaxine isn't necessarily your first line. It might well be your second line. So that's if, if your first antidepressant you try doesn't work. Or Go, side effects. So going, like back, going back to the original, yeah. So going back to that STAR-D trial, 
that was great because it was a big trial, biggest trial ever, and it was naturalistic, so it would be anyone in the community with depression. 47% of those responded, and about a third went into remission, which is completely recovered. And as you progressed through those steps, uh, your response rate would be better. Good. Right? Yeah, I understand. That's good. So if you don't respond to one, then there's a good chance you'll respond to the next one. Yeah. You might have a very resistant depression, which we'll, we'll talk about in another episode, I guess. But that's um, unlikely, which is it's quite an optimistic message yeah. that yeah. you're giving doctor. OK, so what are the NASAs? The NASSAs. And it's a noradrenaline and specific serotogenic <laughs> antidepressants. That sounds really specific. Yeah. yeah. I've done my research. So you've only got mirtazapine under that label? Well, there's also Zizpin, but actually that's just the same thing. So That's yes, the train right. name for mirtazapine. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it is. Mm. How do you say mirtazapine so easily? And it's so difficult for me to say. Oh well, that's because you're a doctor. Yeah, and because that has a different mode of action, again, it it um, works actually a great deal on serotonin, but it works on different types of serotonin receptor. That's when it gets it starts to get really boring because there's loads of different subtypes of receptors. So it's not just serotonin sub uh, receptors versus noradrenaline receptors. Oh, right, got it. Within serotonin class, there are then lots of but receptors. Think... And some of them are on the pre-synaptic membrane, some are on the post-synaptic membrane. Which it's... is a place we don't want to go. I think it's well, enough to probably know. probably not. It's, I think it's enough to know it's complicated. And, yeah. and, and uh, it's complicated <clears throat> and very difficult to, because it is the brain you're trying to measure, very difficult to measure. So I think we should, mm. we should be comforted by the fact that the thing is complicated. And yet we know that there are three neurotransmitters which can cause us problems. And yeah. there are many, many, many different drugs right. which can help us. Right. So, and the other thing to remember is um, psychiatrists are clinicians. They're not pharmacologists. Mm. So they're not actually interested in what receptor profile this particular drug has. What they're interested in is what the actual clinical trials show. How, how well is this drug tolerated? Um, it may be marketed as the most amazing uh, SSRMA ever, right? Oh, God, an amazing mode of action. But if people don't, if people vomit when they take it, they're not mm. going to uh, keep on taking it. I've become increasingly sceptical of drug company claims from a completely unique mode of action. I've been hearing for 20 years, this new antidepressant works way faster than all the other ones. They never do. Their original trial might suggest that, but then when psychiatrists go off and do independent trials that are not funded by pharmacology companies, um, they uh, th then the truth comes out. And also just through clinical experience, that mass of clinical experience of psychiatrists prescribing and seeing what happens to their patients, yeah. that informs their practice, and it should. Yeah, it often seems strange to me that um, pharmaceutical companies would, would use the kind of advertising that you'd use on the general public when they're advertising to um, specialists, highly responsible specialists, who know, know, know their shit. Because you'd have thought you wouldn't be susceptible to that. Do well, you think the psychiatric community they have can be? to. They, I mean, I, you know, I have. I, you have to take a pragmatic view because you need to know about every new drug that's coming on the market. You do need to know about that because there is a chance that this could be, you know, the first antidepressant that gets you well in two mm. days, whatever. Mm. Um, and every antidepressant up till now, you've 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 observed that it takes four to six weeks mm. <laughs> to achieve its uh, peak therapeutic effect, right? Mm. 
Pharmaceutical companies are not criminal conspiracies. That's the other thing to say. I mean, they are, yes, they, they are, they need to make a profit, uh, but they are fundamentally, I think, driven by wanting to get, <coughs> uh, produce a, a drug that's going to help people. Oh, do they want both? And there's, there's nothing they want, wrong they, with that. They want, but they, they, they definitely need to market what they've, what they've um, developed. Um, in order to retrieve the, the extortionate amounts of money that it costs to set up a, and run a clinical trial. And is it also true that it's not only a massive cost, but it's a, it's a big gamble, uh, to use a gambling analogy. It's because, millions and millions because, of pounds. Because um, you've got to place a lot of bets. Because that's yeah. no guarantee that adding another molecule to this already effect, right. effectacious molecule is going to make a better result. Right. And so I, there's a there's definitely trial and error going on in their laboratories to, mm. to a degree. They might go, okay, let's modify this molecule slightly. Um, and it's very difficult to predict. Uh, and then, of course, they have, to do, they have to do a big leap of faith when they go from animal models where and, and receptor profiles and all that sort of thing, receptor mm. binding, to going, oh, in theory this should work, to, to doing the first human trials, mm. which cost a lot of money, mm. Um, and uh, oh, completely doesn't work, you know. And there's only a li- limit to the amount of long length of the patent as well, which is another variable that goes into the big spreadsheet of pharmaceutical companies. Uh, correct. Yeah, but it's not. I, I suppose uh, it's not for psychiatrists to go. Well, I'm not going to even um, entertain the idea that there is a new drug that could be better than the previous drug. No, you're going to listen to what they've got to say. Got the data. Mm. And then wait for the independent evidence to come out yeah. often, you know, that, and that is why individuals sometimes get very frustrated because they're thinking, well, um, God, we know this drug exists. Why can't you just prescribe it? Again, that's the job of the clinician and it's a thankless task sometimes, but it, but it's, um, I imagine, because you've got to weigh up that um, this might be a new miracle drug with, uh, it might not be. Right. <laughs> it might be well, the new miracle drug, the, the new miracle drugs at the moment are ketamine. People often think of it as a horse tranquilizer, but it's actually been used in human medicine for decades. And also but it's it, a recreational drug. That, but it, right? it's a recreational drug. And psilocybin is the other one, which is uh, the extract from magic, what we call magic mushrooms in common parlance, right? Probably even more controversial. I know less about psilocybin, but we'll... I've met researchers in this country at a high level that are are looking at ketamine in treatment of depression. And, you know, it it can dramatically improve someone's mood within 24 hours, often within hours. Which is, brings me to another point, because a lot of um, antidepressants do have a, a, do take a long time to act. It's always amusing that when a drug has an association with recreational use, it's more of a it's more a harder push. They're all drugs. These are all chemicals that have an effect on the brain, mm. negative or positive. It's still, I think, a not a controlled drug and is still used medicinally. It's been used medicinally for ages. You know, it was originally developed as a short-acting anaesthetic uh, by the US military. What, what the aim was, was to sort of have a disconnect between the, uh, uh, the, 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 the pain sustained on the battlefield from an injury and the emotional reaction to it. And, and get those people off the battlefield. They can get up and walk off rather than have to be stretched off in some cases. You mean lessening and the pain or lessening the emotional reaction to the emotional pain? Emotional reaction, so the processing of the pain. There's a, kind of, there's a kind of disconnect at that point. So um, it dissociates the, the actual pain at the basic sensory level from 
the kind of processing of that at the, at the higher cognitive level. If that, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So um, it seems it's sort of doing something similar with depression. It's sort of lifting, it's breaking the cycle between the gut feeling part of the brain and the frontal lobe that does all the ruminating. It's somehow disassociating the two for long enough to have some kind of yeah, that's extraordinary. Yeah, I know. For the record, my face is is looking quite. It's only a th- it's only a theory, right? But uh, it sort of makes sense that it's dissociating the thoughts from the pain, the emotional pain, in you know, some way. You know, CBT and giving your thoughts but, time to catch up. You know, CBT is predicated on the fact that <clears throat> um, cycles of thought lead to an emotional yeah, reaction, yeah. and you want to break that chain between negative cycles yeah. of thoughts. Is this a sort of pharmacological equivalent? Or am I stretching the analogy a bit far? Possibly, but I. It, but what is what is definitely uh, true is that um, uh, people um, are getting better from their depression after a simple one um, intravenous infusion of this ketamine um, within hours, and the effect peaking at sort of one day, and then gradually tailing off over days, or in some cases after a couple of weeks. After just one dose, could you so it's almost rebooting the brain. It's doing a kind of reset. Could you? Could you? But it, but but then reverting. Could but you, then reverting. So that is the issue. Could you use ketamine if someone is severe depression, suffering horribly, um, whilst an SSRI, for example, kicks in? Uh, that is definitely something that I've thought about. Yeah, yeah I bet. Yeah. Do we talk about monoamine oxidase oh, inhibitors? As one well? other quick thing. Oh yeah, go on. It, it massively reduces suicidal ideation. I mean, that's got to be saving lives, literally. Yeah, yeah. So I think it is, exci- it is exciting. Yeah. But what we've got at the moment is a collection of small trials and that probably don't meet uh, NICE guidance for recommendation. So it's still at a research stage. But you've got big pharma coming in now with a nasal preparation of ketamine. Oh, really? Presumably Johnson and Johnson. That gets into the bloodstream quickly. And they're right? doing big trials of people, so they've already got, I mean, very strong results from the acute, acute treatment of the condition, of, of depression, and they're now moving on to maintenance, which is how do we maintain this improvement with repeated doses? And we know how frequent those doses need to be, etc. We now break for a, um, a word from our sponsor. Johnson and Johnson. I thank you. Thank you for the wine you provided this evening. <laughs> and Terrain, the Sauvignon Blanc. And the Ket. I thought there was a reason why you weren't as tired as usual. I'm trialling for Johnny and Johnny. Mm. So, uh, monoamine oxidise inhibitors, interesting, boring. Are we going too deep? No, not necessarily, if you want to mention it. Well, it's... Tranylcypramine. Uh, um, yeah. What are the other ones? There's uh, three more. Um, isocarboxazid. Yes, that was on the tip of my tongue. Yeah. And uh, phenylazine. No, phenylazine. And, of course, uh, selegiline as well. Selegiline. All right, selegiline. More emphasis on the E. What's a monoamine? Uh, are they the three that we talked about? They're the three we talked about. Oh, thank God for that. I thought it was another class of uh, chemical that was going to drive They inhibit. Listen to mental. this, man. This is very easy to understand. Yeah, cool. They inhibit the enzyme called monoamine oxidase, which breaks down all three. No way! I think this is great. I think this is. I think this is r- really. Unfortunately, it means you can't. You, there were dietary restrictions and things like that with them. That's why they fell out of favour. It's a little bit like photography. 
there's always a compromise. Like with photography, you've got the amount of light, the speed of the film, the um, shutter speed and the aperture. True. And you've got to balance it all together to get the True. best result. True. Um, but nevertheless, there'll be some patients out there, sorry, individuals out there, that have not responded to the other classes of antidepressants, yeah. and then you respond to that. Yeah. That's great. As I'm, I'm writing down as we go the lessons that we want to, and I'll do a conclusion at the end. Oh, please do. Lessons. Yeah, I think because there's certain things... That, You're good at conclusions. Oh, you're very kind. Well, Except when you get it wrong, but mostly yeah. you're good at... You're good at conclusions, and they always sound good, even when they're wrong. Oh, yes. So yeah, I think yeah. what we've concluded is they don't work, and you should what? snap yourself out of it. Oh, yes. No, that was a joke. So, yes. how was Ignore your questions? doctor. Ignore <laughs> your quack. And they're 17 years... No, of, of course there are alternative uh, ways of getting better to antidepressants. Uh, and, of course, it's not an either-or thing. Antidepressants, plus good diet, plus exercise, plus having some CBT or other forms of therapy. Again, not everyone responds to CBT. You have a different type of therapy. But anyway, and, and thinking about signposting, thinking about were you going in the right direction when you got depressed? I mean, some people just get spontaneously depressed and you're like, oh, well, bad luck. They've got a big biological loading, but other people, maybe they shouldn't be in that relationship or shouldn't be in that particular job. or that's, mm. Those sort of things need to be thought about way more than they're thought about. I had a really interesting discussion with someone at work about biological loading. And he's a guy, very alpha, very talented, very intelligent, a very sort of gung-ho in everything he does and must, must win. Uh, it's not you. Oh. No, he's this guy's good looking. He's uh, oh, he's what? successful with ladies, mm. uh, but he's the kind of guy who sort of pushes himself to the limit. And you wonder when people are particularly invulnerable to this kind of thing, do they sometimes push themselves to the limit anyway and get close? I don't think the alpha or the good looking or anything like that has got anything to do with it. Yeah. The reason people push themselves sometimes to exhaustion is because of uh, the need for validation that they didn't get from possibly their parents when they were brand new. Thank you, Siegmund. By the way, thanks for he the talks feedback, to someone everybody. Who, on the who Freud became episode. a doctor to please his mother. All <laughs> 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 oh, right. Well, yeah. Welcome to uh, Why the Long Face, the irony uh, edition. No. Listen, most of us are trying to get validation from our parents for, for way into our 30s. And then um, we suddenly go, actually, nah, I'm not going to do that anymore because I don't really enjoy it. I'll do something else. Or... Look, just by chance, they're doing something they enjoy anyway. So and I'm not sure, because as my father would say, you've always been a disappointment, Oliver. <laughs> Why can't you be more like your friend, yeah, yeah. Paul? You're still trying to get his validation. I am. Yeah. Love me, Daddy. Anyway, uh, I don't think he get, gets podcasts. <laughs> so I think I'm going to be OK. Um, I have some more questions. No, it's what he's waiting to hear. No. Right, go on. Daddy, do you like my podcast? <laughs> it's getting Daddy. Can we go back to antidepressants? I'm feeling Daddy. a bit uncomfortable. <laughs> Your mum made you a psychiatrist. Good, good. Well, I'm glad she did. Can we just made... stick to drugs being the cure for all? All right. So what do you say to a, um, a client who says to you, I'm worried, um, I'm anxious as it is and depressed, but I'm particularly worried about you prescribing me a mind-altering drug, which is a kind of a scary way of describing an antidepressant. This thing is going to alter my mind, maybe alter my personality. I'm scared of taking it. How, how do you, how do you um, talk a client down from, from that kind of uh, mindset? Um, which is understandable. I would probably say something along the lines of, you should try this drug. We'll give it a trial. It is designed to reverse a problem with the brain chemistry that, is, that has caused the symptoms you've got right now. And let's face it, you're not functioning very well. Mm. And remind uh, them of that. 
Okay, so what we're trying to do, the aim here, is not to give you some kind of happy pill. We're trying to restore normal functioning. So mm, we're trying nice. to reverse the, the what's happened mm. uh, as a result of prolonged stress and depletion, in theory, of these uh, monoamines, which is the best theory we've got. They might say, okay, well, you know, I don't want anything messing around with my, my brain chemistry. I'll say, well, okay, forget about the chemistry. Just look at the evidence. These these medications stop people suffering and get them back to work. Get them do, do you not want to fun- function better? Mm. I, I think it's the case, but I, I'd, I'd prefer you to say it because people believe what you say because you're immensely qualified, is that there is nothing about the antidepressants that you would prescribe or that are generally available which will alter the wiring of the brain or the chemistry of the brain permanently. None of the actions that you will feel as a result of being on an antidepressant would be uh, permanent in any way. Well, I can't um, open up your head and have a look. What I advise is that your depression is, is such a uh, such a severity that I think antidepressants are probably needed. Um, you know, you're 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 no longer functioning. You're unable to perhaps engage with psychological work and what the antidepressant is doing is giving you a lift up to the point where you've got enough psychic energy to actually engage with other types of intervention like psychic energy mental energy better it's the same thing is that what the crystals give you yeah um well it gives you enough mental energy to engage with the crystals or whatever you think (laughs) might the dream catches enhancement to your life God, if an antidepressant permanently altered your brain networks for the better so that you were more resilient, wouldn't that be great? And some people, of course, uh, continue on antidepressants long term because they've had two or three or more episodes of cyclic depression uh, and the antidepressants prevent you from making you more resilient. Is that a bad thing? You know, in I don't think itself? it is. Because I'd imagine some people will be resistant to being on drugs for years. I don't, I don't think it is. I think I digressed a bit because you were asking about brain plasticity and we st- we're still learning about that all the time. I mean, I think that um, the idea that an antidepressant would cause permanent changes to your to your brain, I, I, I don't buy it. I think the longer you're on an antidepressant of certain types the more difficult it might be to avoid some withdrawal symptoms. But once you get past those, which generally lasts a couple of weeks, um, I think you're okay. The uh, risks and benefits might be different for different people. I mean, that's the thing that comes out, isn't it? The the, the, the fact that it's it's complex. The, the way the drugs works is complex mm. and each individual person's case is complex. Um, yeah. I've got another question for you. It's a, it's, a, it's a big one. I find this really interesting. And I have a lot of sympathy for this point of view. Um, I'm a believer in antidepressants from, from talking to you and seeing the data. However, you know, I, I don't want to give the impression that... And people you know, right, if benefit. Yeah, exactly. I don't want to give the impression that we think, right, you're depressed, drugs. Um, could it be that... Um, we, and we've, we've discussed why these shouldn't be called happy pills because they're, they're not exactly... Um, uh, like not designed to make you they're, they're not going to give you a buzz yeah uh, however hence they don't have much of a street value that's a good point actually if that was the case everyone would be on Prozac wouldn't they yeah, like, look, got yeah. Prozac mate yeah got Prozac got any benefactions I mean Prozac did have a street value for a while but mainly because of its rep right you know mainly mainly because of its image right but it doesn't if you go out there and take some Prozac it's not going to give you an instant buzz 
That's a good point. Uh, in fact, it might just make you feel a bit nauseous. <laughs> and not be able to <laughs> get a hard on. Or like, uh, uh, no, that's not a thing with um, SSRIs generally. Oh, right, okay. Delayed ejaculation is a thing. Is that a good, that could be a good thing? Could be a good thing. With the whole app itself. Anyway, anyway, the, my point is, my point, my point. We're doing a whole app on side effects. Yeah, we are. So anyway, my question was, um, people might worry that you're giving me these drugs, doctor, to make me feel better. Awesome. But my depression is caused by some deep rooted thing, maybe from my childhood that I don't understand or haven't explored. Yeah. Is there a, a concern that you're just masking this with drugs and actually I'm not getting to the root cause? Um, no, the, po the, the point is it's not either or. So, um, and, and also, knowing how you got into a prison cell doesn't necessarily uh, help you understand how to get out of it because you may have got to where you are with a depressive illness because of things that happened in your childhood. But understanding and processing and working through what happened in your childhood isn't necessarily going to lift your depression in the short term, in the acute phase if you have a very severe depression. I think then you treat it with antidepressants to get to a point where you can engage in longer-term psychodynamic therapy uh, to explore those issues from your childhood. Or CPT, which also does I, that. I think but that is quite a brilliant explanation, which I've never thought of. Really? Because yeah. you were scowling at me. No, no, that was my concentration phase. Knowing how you got into a cave or a hole doesn't mm. necessarily help you get out of it. And I no. think it's very, very useful. And it brings one question to my mind. And that is, if people are suffering from depression and you pharma pharmacologically treat them, you treat them with drugs and they get better, do you always explore what the cause of the depression was um, by um, psychotherapeutic methods um, to understand how they got into the hole? Or do you sometimes say, well, uh, they have a propensity to depression, this combination of drugs or this single drug helps them, happy days. Well, it, and the answer is, of course, it absolutely depends, depends on the individual. <laughs> yeah. You yeah, knew fair. that when, when you asked it. Mm. So some people will have a heavy bi heavier biological loading. You can point to people in their family who've had recurrent depressions through their lives. And, of course, you'll take that into account. You'll ask and you'll take that into blah, account, blah, blah. and you'll ask about previous depressions they've had, but you'll also ask about current stresses. You know, as I said to you before, it's a three-by-three three grid, right? Oh, I love that. And you loved it then, and, you, and it's worth repeating. It certainly is, if it was a three-by-three. Three. It's both biological, psychological, and social factors, which would include current stressors and life difficulties, mm. right? Yep. Yeah, the one that, On keeps, one that keeps straining. You, you, you want to do it the other? <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. You know I do. You know I do. Stop teasing me. Predisposing. Precipitating and perpetuating. We're going to have to the draw three P's. We can have to draw this up. I'll draw it up. You said this last time. You never did it. Very very busy, mate. Quite lazy. Management consulting. Oh, no, I'm lazy as well. What's the? Oh God, I, I took notes last time we did this, and we, the episode never went out because the sound quality was poor because our engineer. Oh really? Didn't exist. Um, so I don't think this one's gone out. So, oh, with the with the grid. Yeah, I'm going to recreate the grid. No, we did we did the Jahari's window, two by two. Yeah, that's a two by two Jari's windows. That's we didn't do the three by three. Three by three. I, I've heard people say on the internet, my dad tried antidepressants and it fucked him up. Right. And you just hear that kind of phrase on the internet and people go, oh my God, and immediately they start to think, oh, antidepressants can fuck you up. We need more detail. And antidepressants are not going to suit every individual. If you've got, um, or, or rather, not every antidepressant is going to suit every individual so, as well. But... but um, 
uh, I think I think where we're going with this is that the treatment of anti of depression is way more tailored than people think. Yeah, you know, you as long as you're seeing someone um, who's a professional, they will work with you. It is not a dictatorial thing. They will work with you to find something that suits you. Well, let's, let's try and summarise. Yeah. Yeah. That would so, be good. Um, this has been a very good ep because it could have been very dry and we could have gone through a load of drugs. About neurochemistry. And neurochemistry and, and all that. Mode of action and, and stuff. What I've heard tonight is um, quite optimistic messages in terms of um, the use of antidepressants in the fact that they work... Uh, their effects won't be permanent. No. And the fact that you might have to work with your doctor to find the correct regimen is is not a not a bad thing, and it's explainable by the fact that brain chemistry is complex. Correct and very variable across individuals. Indeed. So the one thing that makes human beings wonderful is that we're all individuals. Is that all our brains are individual? Correct. Uh, unique. Uh, unique. Absolutely unique. Each one. And therefore, the way the brain chemistry works is unique. And therefore, sadly, if you're not only your brain chemistry, but how it interacts with your psychological and social factors. Ooh, that's going to be point. unique. Yeah. And that, that, that's kind of a good thing, really. Yes. Um, and that's what makes psychiatry interesting, but frustrating and not simple. And the fact that in clinical trials with a single drug, 60% versus 30%, roughly, um, active drug versus placebo, um, um, effective in, in lifting the mood of people with varying degrees of um, depression, is a very... Very good sign that indeed, yes, um, antidepressants do work. However, uh, it must be said that because of the complexity of the brain chemistry and because of the different actions on each of the neurotransmitters that the drugs have, sometimes some experimentation may be required with the cooperation of the clinician and the right. client. Right. And the, cl the, the client should not be frightened by that and must realise that To get to the one that you need. Yes, sir. And indeed, the, the combinations that you that you need and what the doctor is doing with you is not random throwing mud to the wall and seeing what sticks but very sensibly going through a, a, a well uh, um, a well understood um, a set of uh, interventions that will almost certainly eventually um, help the patient the personality change um, is certainly not a necessary part of it um, and the action of the drug is almost certainly not irreversible. The other thing I hear is um, some of these drugs, by their very nature, uh, do, say, do, do take some time to um, become uh, efficacious, and uh, you must take your time when taking these drugs. And remember that side effects can often be worse in the early stages of treatment and then fade over time. So it's a bummer. It's a double bummer, actually. Mm. If you're not warned about this, you're going to stop your medication early because you say, I'm just getting side effects and no benefit. Yeah. The benefit it happens later. And I think we're probably saying that if you fear that the, that the reason that you're getting depressed, and yet indeed there may be a reason that you're getting depressed, uh, may be masked by um, some uh, pharmacological uh, intervention, is it can be an ill-founded fear in that once you get better, you're in a better place to um, sort of uh, investigate uh, the possible causations of you feeling this way. Right, and do your own therapy, and do your own, um, get to the point where you've worked through some of the issues that got 
possibly got you where you were. Um, There's it, it a, a wonderful synergy that happens when you get enough mental energy as a result of the antidepressant to start engaged with psychological and social interventions that then leads to this great, uh, a good long-term recovery, right? So it's not about just taking an antidepressant and carrying on as you were, yeah. necessarily. Right. Right? Which answers my previous question right. about it masking. Right, which I don't think it does. Although I wouldn't speak for every individual. And a good psychiatrist will, will realise that. And by the way, actually, something else... And you can tail off the antidepressant um, after six months of wellness if it's your first depression. That is generally the way we look at it. Is that it's the first six months uh, from the point that you got better that you are most at risk of relapse if you stop the medication. But you can talk to your doctor about stopping it after that time. And this brings me to something else right so it, it, so, it sounds more and more like the relationship you have um, um, a client to doctor is so important that, that I guess uh, the client has the right to say this relationship isn't working for me mm. I, I, I'd like mm. to try a relationship with another oh, yeah. doctor oh yeah yeah but the one thing you mustn't do is, is just kind of ignore it really right um, you know and and be willing to take advice. Yeah, I think that's the other thing as well. Any, I mean, there's a temptation to think that you can get out of your own depression. I think it takes a lot to admit that maybe you need some help with it. Yeah. Because it's an illness like any other. And the irony is, I guess, you get yourself into such a low position of depression that even if you could think your way out of it, you're so low in your in your abilities to um, right. function that you can't pick yourself up off the floor. Cool. Okay, that's a good one. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll uh, see you next time. Yeah, enjoyed it, man. Take Great. care and um, open yourself up to the possibilities of um, antidepressants being yeah. your way to. Um, we ain't no pusher men, but consider it. Hey, thanks for joining us on Why the Long Face. As ever, we're here to inform, hopefully, and entertain, but we're not here to give you medical advice. There is, however, information on our website, ytlf.com, that's W-H-Y-T-L-F.com, about where to get help. See you next time.